This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. In late April of 2018, AMI was invited to join a group of journalists to observe Access Israel's sixth annual international conference on innovation and the future of accessibility. As a result, throughout the month of June in this time slot, AMI Audio is pleased to present four special half-hour programs which reveal some of the highlights of the conference and related activities. You'll hear from people behind social startups that have resulted in improving accessibility through technology, in creating meaningful employment, and in improving the lives of war veterans. My name is Andy Frank, and this is Access Israel, making the business case for accessibility and inclusion, and this, the fourth episode, is titled Advocacy. Advocacy is defined by Merriam-Webster Dictionary as, quote, the act or process of supporting a cause. It's a powerful noun, one that takes on many meanings depending on who uses it and for what purpose. In this episode, we'll examine some of the acts of advocacy as they relate to the work being done by Access Israel. And we'll start with empathy. What better way is there to teach compassion and empathy than in schools? Now, when I went to school in the Stone Ages, I can honestly say that we never had anyone with a disability address a classroom with the specific purpose of sharing with kids what it's like to live with his or her disability. Fortunately, things have changed. Access Israel's co-founder, Rani Benjamin, tells us about their school program. We are in a relatively old school in, in, uh, in Hod HaSharon, uh, which means it's uh, 70 years old. As old, as old as Israel, as Israel. Yes, yes, as old Israel. Yes, exactly. And uh, there are many uh, uh, new schools uh, which are differently uh, uh, designed, and the architecture was uh, t- totally different. Uh, much more accessible, of course. But the idea here today is not checking the, how the school is accessible, but teaching pupils and childrens. Uh, how uh, to uh, to meet first of all people with disability and to get to know each other and break barriers between the people in disability and uh, between themselves so they, they feel you know very natural and very free to approach someone with disability and to know how to do it how often do you do this at a, a school like this for example yeah. and how far-reaching is this program okay Good question. Uh, so we are doing it twice a week. Uh, it means at least 100 schools uh, a year. And we're working on this pro- program for a decade. So we've covered about uh, 1,000 uh, schools and academies. We begin with elementary school. And through the high school and then to academy and, and uh, universities, and, of course, uh, there is a difference uh, in the content. We spoke to one of the facilitators of the training. So the objective is to develop empathy for the children? Yeah, to empathy and to, to feel for a moment what it is not seen. Because when they're going inside this room with, without seeing, they get in panic, screaming, oh, my God, I'm going to fall, getting, like, really over a, a reaction. And they, they can feel that only about five minutes when they got inside, they, they know this room, they know they can get hurt. So it makes them feel a bit what, for what she feels. We do it constantly in schools. Yeah, it's amazing. You can see in everywhere children can show empathy. And even we go to first uh, first grade people 
and they're still they can feel even if with what they don't understand they can still feel the empathy and we've been we go everywhere and it's amazing to see this it's really amazing well how children can connect and can feel and when they're so small they don't have any uh, you know um Mechani- uh, defense mechanism so they ask everything right. everything like such an embarrassing question and right. then like it's a- amazing awesome. how children can feel it even in this area when you feel they're all looking on the phones and they're still uh, can really get really empty and I have to say I was very impressed by how engaged these kids were with the activities which also included lectures from people who were deaf mobility restricted and who had some mental health issues Now, empathy training is one kind of advocacy. Diplomacy is another. At the conference itself, we took in a presentation by Luis Gallegos, the ambassador of Ecuador to the United Nations in Geneva. He also served another purpose, one for which he has a great passion. My name is Luis Gallegos. I am the ambassador of Ecuador to the United Nations in Geneva. I'm here uh, as the president of the Board of Trustees of G3ICT, which is the global initiative for inclusive information and communication technologies. That's a heck of a business card. Yes, it's a long card, but it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a worthwhile cause in the sense that it, uh, we began this something like 16 years ago when we began to draft a convention on disability. And uh, the organizations of persons with disabilities came up to us to... Uh, and they participated in the negotiation and we understood that it's not only about physical accessibility to the, to the built environment, it's, uh, it's also information and communication accessibility. Because this is the future, this is technology, and this will change the mores and ways, and it's changed. Of course, uh, uh, an iPad has been more important for, for, for the disability community than many of the legislations around the world. It has changed the way people can interact, work, read, uh, and uh, I think uh, the livelihood because of the of the inter- exchange of technology will be fundamental in the in, in, is fundamental and will be more. I asked him if he was aware of where Canada stood in terms of implementation of accessibility legislation or lack thereof. I think that uh, I, I I I knew your your disability minister. Uh, uh, a few months back, uh, and I think that uh, Canada has an, uh, has the opportunity of, of having an outstanding role in the issue of rights, human rights in general. Uh, the disability issue is how you progressively implement uh, the magnificent legislations in the world and locally. And that's not an issue of only uh, governmental implementation. It's a change in society. How uh, an individual uh, man or woman looks at a person, sees the person with a disability, perceives the person with a disability, is fundamental. How he changes that perception individually, looking at himself in a mirror, and he changes the values of his family and his community are, are, are more important. I think that uh, the, the examples are there all, uh, all the time. How you look at an autistic child or how you look at a person who's blind or deaf or, or a person who has intellectual disabilities is fundamental in, in, in how you perceive the change in societies. 
Is it always a question of money? Is it a question of, 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 of the kind of commitments that businesses and governments are willing to make to address the issue? Is, is there, oh. Or is it mostly that, or is, it, or is that actually one of the lesser issues? Uh, I think resources are important, and the government has to have a public policy with a budget to implement many of the, uh, of the issues in education, in health, uh, social services, and, and whatever. Uh, but in reality, it, it is a community issue. How you deal with a disability in, 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 in a nation, I'll give you an example of that. You, know, it, you can have a wheelchair that goes upstairs that probably costs $30,000. There are, there are countries in where a wheelchair is useless because they don't have sidewalks, and where, where you have uh, jungles, where you have uh, mud, and where fun, fundamentally a, a wheelchair that goes through you know, sidewalks and, uh, uh, and ramps isn't workable. So you do have to look at this from a viewpoint of the differences in, 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 in ambience where you live or the country where you live, and the development issues where you have them. 80% um, of the persons with disabilities in the world come from the underdeveloped, are, are in the underdeveloped countries, where you don't have resources and you won't have resources. That might be a very you know, radical statement from my part, but uh, you have to look at this from the point of view of how you give those people dignity and how you, be, how you give them services. Um, in Ecuador, for example, um, uh, the president of Ecuador is a person with a disability, Lenin Moreno. And when he was vice president, he began a program of, uh, of incorporating all persons with disabilities in Ecuador. But he, he thought of it backwards from what is normal in a society. What he did was form thousands of teams of people that went out into the last hunt of the jungles or highlands and found persons with disabilities. Because there, there, there was a social stigma, there was a, and this is this is true in all societies where you have children or families that you know, hide their hide their people with disabilities for whatever reason. Sometimes because of ignorance, sometimes because of education, sometimes even because of religious beliefs. So you have to actually uh, look into this as as a, as a, a basis for change in society. What many people don't understand is that when you have a convention like the Convention on Persons with Disabilities, it's a paradigm shift in the, in the, world, uh, in the world society. Luis Gallegos, the ambassador of Ecuador to the United Nations in Geneva, compares the implementation of accessibility standards with the Green Movement. When we began to talk about environment, when people like me and people from our area of the world began to talk about you know, the trees, the importance of trees, the importance of not killing birds, the importance of fish, the importance of water, um, the, import, the, the, the problems you would have with climate change. Uh, many of the, uh, 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 the developed countries came to us and said, you know, what are, what are you doing? You're talking about development. You're talking about eliminating the possibility of investments. Well, you know, you're, you're going to condemn your countries to poverty and so on and so on. Well, 40 years have passed. And I don't think a company in the world uh, does not want to be green. Suddenly, the educational change in the schools, their children, the societies, now you have an ongoing saga of being green and trying to conserve this and 
trying to, 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 to preserve the, the, the water, air, because you see the damage it is doing to, 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 to the human beings. Well, I, I, I think a, a change in the progression of societies is just that. It, is, uh, it will take time. Uh, uh, we have to be persistent in, in, in having the same values. Uh, we need a generation change. We need younger people to take up the baton and uh, the banner of this thing and, and, and move it along with uh, better knowledge of technology and a better sense of this. So for me, it, 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 it's, it's really important to look into what the, what the change will be in, in, in a world that our children or grandchildren will live in. I think a lot of the green, the, the green people might have said many years ago, be the change. Yes, and I, th I, I, I think that that's true in, 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 in any social change. In, um, one of the things that uh, I, uh, because of having having lived in a, in, a, in a world that changed from a bipolar nuclear confrontation, maybe we'll have one next year, but the, 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 the issue is that I've seen changes in the world that have meant significant uh, betterment of lives for many people. I've also seen, unfortunately, what, what human beings are capable of doing when there's a regression in the human rights. So I trust that we will keep on going to, for a better world, rather than uh, you know uh, regress to other, to other, to, uh, to other times. I'm an optimist, and I and, and I believe you know when, when you look at what uh, we've been able to do, uh, with uh, uh, with a cause like this, which I find extraordinary. Um, it's not us that, you know, I'm a diplomat. I'm not a, a person with disability. I, I look for negotiations. I look to solve problems by, by negotiation and dialogue. The real, the real owners of this are the persons with disabilities. And, and as they take up that ownership and change the world, uh, it'll be a better world for all. That was Luis Gallegos, the ambassador of Ecuador to the United Nations in Geneva, taking a diplomatic approach to advocacy. Access Israel is a major international advocate for the cause of accessibility and inclusion. It serves as an advisor to the United Nations Economic and Social Council. Now you heard Luis refer to his work being done in Ecuador to locate people with disabilities in remote areas. Access Israel CEO Michelle Rimon shares a similar learning she experienced at a conference in Vienna. I can tell you that I heard from uh, one of the countries that we call third world their project was so basic, but so smart, so sensitive. And, you know, they found a way to go to um, uh, communities and really know how to go beyond the cultural differences and make a change. And all of a sudden I said, hey, you know, in Israel, we also have communities that culturally are more closed and more difficult to, to penetrate. And I can take things from that. And the guy that, when I came to him and asked him and said, listen, I want to learn more about your project, he said, you, Israel, wants to learn, you, you're, you're so strong here. And I said, yes, because this is it. This is the global transformation of information. We all have something to learn. We all have something to teach. We all have something to share. And that's what I would like to do. Education is another kind of advocacy. The conference and related events at Access Israel were a tsunami of education for many of us. 
let's hear from two journalists from Africa who both appear to have left Tel Aviv inspired to make changes in their home countries as a result. Up first, Comfort Musa of Cameroon. I'm a journalist and a social worker. As a journalist, I report extensively on social justice issues, especially issues about women and issues about persons with disabilities. And uh, I'm also a trainer in my country, trying to uh, raise the next breed of journalists who are very passionate about disability and women's rights. I live in Cameroon. Cameroon is a beautiful country in Central Africa sub-region. And um, I live in a city called Yaoundé. That's the capital city of Cameroon. In a nutshell, what has your experience been like here with Access Israel? Wow. Um, it's been amazing from the very first day I got here because in terms of uh, accessibility, um, it's, I've had a, a positive cultural shock just seeing the extent to which public spaces are, are accessible, sorry, and the commitment of the government, the commitment of um, NGOs in Israel to make this a reality has been, for me, it's, it's mind-blowing and it's opened, it's opened up my mind and given me ideas on many things that I want to replicate when I go back home. Uh, tell me about maybe one or two people that you yourself have interviewed and spoken with um, that, uh, that have inspired you. Staying true to the vision of what my organization is about, uh, Sister Speak, I have talked with two amazing women living with disabilities. One is an athlete who has taken part in um, the Olympics thrice, and she's preparing for the fourth round, full of energy, and her story is quite inspiring. I have also spoken with Dr. Revital. She is um, a scientist. She is a politician and she's a community activist and she is a wheelchair user. These two women for me are quite inspiring uh, role models for other women back in Cameroon and both of them mean a lot to me because my great-grandmother was crippled and she didn't have the benefit of science and so she was never on a wheelchair she was on the floor throughout and she raised five children in that position mm. and uh, there are many more women in Africa like her and uh, technology and innovation are important to women like this who are living with disabilities but you know the standard and quality of their lives are low because the lack the technology to improve the standard of their lives. And so talking with Dr. Revital and talking with uh, Pascal, the athlete, for me, um, lit up many bulbs in my head. And I've shared, I've shared some of the content with the communities of women with disabilities back home. And the response is, is impressive. You know, the women look and say, hey, she's on a wheelchair. She's a deputy mayor. If she can, I can too. Comfort Musa of Cameroon went on to talk about the importance of recognition when it comes to advocacy. What was very impressive for me is the fact that here, one thing uh, here in Israel, one thing they're doing to make uh, reporting on disability trendy is the fact that they have a, a national award that rewards the best uh, stories on persons with disabilities, which is something I started doing in Cameroon in 2016. And so when I saw this, I was like, yes, 
this is working in Israel and you know just want uh, uh, looking at the models and how they have succeeded to, to do that, that uh, particularly caught my attention. The fact that uh, communities and people in Israel have succeeded uh, to, to bring accessibility to the stage where it is legally, for example, I learned this week, um, it's law in Israel for all websites to be accessible. As of uh, 2017, I think, and I looked it up and I was like, okay, if they can do this, we can. And what, what's even better is the fact that uh, most of the organizations and corporations here are willing to share the model. And so I've talked with Access Israel team and they've succeeded with a lot of campaigns on accessibility and they're willing to just, you know, share that for free. And so it's been done. I'm inspired, and now I also have a model that I can replicate or adapt to my local uh, realities. Another interested observer came from Angola, and he comments on the media's role in advocacy. I am Sebastian Vemba. I am a journalist from Angola, uh, a country in south, southern Africa. And uh, for the first time, I am um, being participating in an international congress uh, that uh, about accessibilities. It's being a very interesting and also inspiring experience uh, in terms of uh, being aware about all the world of uh, um, uh, what the other countries are doing about uh, accessibility. Um, unfortunately, um, in Angola, we are doing the, the, the first steps, um, and I think um, as we uh, saw there in one of the panels, um, the um, media have uh, has a, a very big res- responsibility and a role to play in in all these um, situations. So. Uh, from now on, I think I, I will um, take my responsibilities and do what I, um, uh, I'm supposed to do in order to expose all the situations, tell the good stories, expose the bad stories, so it can be uh, changed. What kind of challenges do you see going back home with presenting these ideas? What kind of resistance might you anticipate encountering? Or- challenges you need to overcome? To have an idea, we have Access Israel, that is a, um, an organization that uh, get together everybody. In Angola, we don't have an organization that can get together people with physical disabilities, people with visual disability. We don't have that. And, that, and I think this uh, is will be uh, one of the first steps also to do, and this organization will be uh, pressing uh, everything to happen, like the government, the press, um, the, all, the, all, all, all the country. I myself, as a journalist, like I have to, 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 to get together, uh, to, to, to put together some journalists and tell them we have to tell more stories about these people. We have to, to find people who don't, uh, don't get out of their home because they have a physical disability. We have to find people who, who don't get the bus because they don't have someone to take him out uh, of 
of their home and carry them or, or, or direct them. We have to tell this story so the government um, can like have the real uh, uh, real data about what what what, what we have. We we don't have um, um, actual data uh, about if we have uh, one million or two million people with physical disability, and we had a war. So so we have to get out of our um, our offices and go in, in 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 inside of the country and find these people and know what do they need. Go out and find people. That is ultimately what Access Israel aims to do. Improve accessibility for people all around the world by inspiring people like Sebastião and Comfort and Luis Gallegos to go beyond the big cities and big media and fight the good fight one barrier at a time, wherever it may exist. Thank you for listening to these four special reports on Access Israel, making the business case for accessibility and inclusion. Thanks to the Embassy of Israel in Canada, Thanks to Access Israel, especially to Michel Rimon, Ronnie Benjamin, and Tamar Cohen. Thanks to Elena Falcone of AMI for her invaluable assistance on the ground in Tel Aviv and thereabouts. And thanks to Nick Lisk and Bill Shackleton for their technical support. Listen to podcasts of these special reports at AMI-audio live under Access Israel. My name is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. 
Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts. Hi, I'm Stephen Scott. Join me every day for Double Tap. It's a show where we occasionally talk about technology for blind and partially sighted people. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts.